0: Jesus, Lord, we love you. We love you, Lord. God, I thank you for uh, your spirit. I thank you for the the spirit of wisdom and revelation coming upon us tonight. Lord, I'm thanking you and asking for utterance by the Holy Spirit that you would speak clearly. Lord, I'm asking you give us entrance. Holy Spirit, you would reveal to us the heart of the Father. We would see and understand and comprehend come to know the Father, that, Lord, you would uh, deal with orphan mentalities in us, God, and you take us in to the knowledge of the tender-hearted Father. Lord, we love you. God, open the verses to us tonight. Open our understanding tonight, God. The walls that we've built, God, I pray you'd shatter them, even tonight and even over the next several weeks. Lord, we love you. We thank you good everybody said amen we are going to start a series tonight over the next several weeks i'm not sure how long we'll go but we'll talk about the father heart of god we have um never done a series on on the father heart on sunday night so i'm excited about it. we've included it in our uh, introduction program and um done little little messages here and there for different internships but i am real real excited about this i uh, got an email from one of our staff last week we were out of town and and one of our emails sent me uh, one of our staff sent me an email and uh, and she said hey i don't know uh what or when or how but could you pray about doing a series on the father heart well it was funny because just that very morning i'd been praying and i felt like the lord had talked to me about doing a series on the father heart of god so i think we're we're in good shape and uh, i've mentioned it to a few and several were like we've been praying about that we're meditating on that very thing so it's It's cool to be in rhythm with the Lord. So um, we'll just launch in tonight, and I I really believe this. I believe if, uh, and not that I'm cool or nothing, but if you'll come over the next several weeks and kind of hear what we're talking about, about who God is as a father, I really believe that there's going to be many that are going to step into a realm of healing that you haven't known yet. I really, really believe that. Um, The the message of God as a father and who he is is And his tenderness as a loving father, it's it's not only central to the gospel, it it is absolutely central to the gospel, but it's um, particularly important to our calling and our mandate in the house of prayer and uh, praying night and day and preparing forerunners at the end of the age. One of the central features that those that are uh, forerunners at the end of the age uh, need to know and need to understand is the understanding of the heart of the father. And so... We, we do a lot on the bridal paradigm, and we talk a lot about the son, Jesus, and we don't want to take anything away from Jesus, and we're going to continue to thunder forth about Jesus the bridegroom and, and who he is and his lavish love and affection for us. But we have got to also come to a great understanding of the Father and the way he feels about us, uh, principally because if we're to understand the love of the bridegroom... For us to understand the love of the son, we must understand the love of the father or those two realities will not mix properly. We will have an improper understanding of the son if we don't see the father rightly. And so the the father heart message and the message of the bridal paradigm or Jesus the bridegroom, they are two sides of the same coin that we've got to have. We've got to know, know and understand these realities, at least in an introductory way. I mean, we're always plumbing the depths to the knowledge of God, finding out more, asking for revelation, asking God to reveal His heart, the heart of His Son to us. But uh, these are two sides of the same coin that we must have in place if we're to understand the affections of God, the emotions of God, and the way that God feels. The intimacy message... If we only go with the father message, we miss the lavish love and the burning uh, romantic heart of the bridegroom's son. But if we only go with the the bridegroom message, we miss the tender-hearted father who draws all to himself without judgment. And so we're gonna put both pillars in place real strong and uh, over the next several weeks and really uh, lean into this message on the father. Um, I was meditating on these things and I realized that every relationship that we have in life, every relationship, uh, is a relationship that God has um, designed, and I'll explain it in more in a minute, but God is designed to declare his own glory. And what I mean by that is this, God sets up all of our earthly relationships, and he does it like this, you come into being through a mother and a father. And instantaneously, before you even have the brain capacity to comprehend anything, there is a relationship that's been formed with you called father and mother and child. God sets it up like that to uh, declare of his own glory. He gives you sibling relationships to declare his own glory. He gives you marital relationships, spouse, husband, wife, to declare his own glory. He gives you friendship relationships to declare his own glory. He even gives you relationships with strangers to declare his own glory. Every relationship that's been ordered in life is a relationship that speaks to the glory of God. And when I'm saying glory of God, we kind of immediately, many times we'll just get this picture of, you know, sort of light and power. The glory of God, power and light, ah, glory, you know. But it's more than that. The glory of God is a deeper reality than just light and power. The glory of God has to do with the depths of who God is, the treasure of God, the weightiness of God, the core realities of God. When God reveals his glory to a people, certainly he does reveal power and majesty But when he's revealing his glory to a people, he's also wanting to reveal his attributes and his emotions and his heart and what's inside of him so he can make himself plain to a people that would long to know him. So when God unveils his glory, he's unveiling the most intimate issues and deepest considerations of his own DNA. The glory of God, certainly it's his power, certainly it's his beauty, but it's absolutely his emotions. It's absolutely the way he thinks, the way he feels, the way that's, that, that uh, his emotions work in regard to you. You know, I th- threw out the term beauty. And see, it's, it's, we've got we've to come past just surface level understandings of these things. Beauty... The beauty of the Lord isn't simply how he looks. The beauty of the Lord has to do with all the chemistry of his makeup that makes him magnetic to the human frame. The magnetism of God, that which causes you to be drawn to God, that's the beauty of the Lord. It certainly includes the way he looks, because I guarantee if you looked at God, it would shock you, it would blow your mind. He dwells in unapproachable light. He wraps himself in light as a garment. Jasper and sardius, light come out of him, and he's enveloped with an emerald rainbow. I mean, what is like God? Nothing's close to God. In fact, beauty doesn't define him. He defines beauty to perceive. But what's on the inside of him, is, it's, it's you know, just as great as what's coming out off the outside of him. And it's what allures us to God. The chemistry of who he is. What's working inside of him. His beauty. That's what we're drawn to. A God who is beautiful. Beautiful to behold. But beholding isn't just seeing. Beholding is perceiving all that he is. His makeup. Understanding his chemistry. And so when God gives us relationships in the earth. He is trying to declare to us his glory the beauty of his makeup and when god gives us father child relationship which every person has the father child relationship there's no one came in without that relationship everybody's got mother child everybody's got father child some of us don't have never known our natural father so that relationship has been imbued and blurred and perverted But when God gives us father-child relationship, he is giving that to us. He works it together in the construct of human DNA. This is the way he's going to bear people into the earth. He's going to give them fathers and mothers. He's going to bear them into the earth. He works it together in the construct of the way people are born in the earth. Why? To declare of himself. You have fathers because he was declaring of himself. That is the principle to the issue. If we're going to understand the father heart, we've got to get this, that he gave us earthly fathers to declare of his own glory. Now, through challenging situations, many times the lens that we perceive our natural earthly father or the the heavenly father with, the lens we perceive the heavenly father with, has been um, skewed by our relationship with the natural earthly father or father figure. So if you can land that point, then some of the uh, apprehension you might have about Father will go away because God truly is wanting to declare to you the way He feels, even if your lens has been skewed or broken in certain ways. And so I want to take us through um, just some introductory thoughts about this, this relationship and about who He really is in nature you know, I believe that the, the reason why marriages are so dramatically attacked um, is principally about an attack on the knowledge of God. The reason why marital relationships are attacked is because it's an attack on the knowledge of God. Every attack of the enemy is geared against the knowledge of God. Every stronghold is erected against the knowledge of God. Paul said the weapons of our warfare are not but They're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So every attack of the enemy ever that's ever come in your life has been geared against the knowledge of who God is to you. So when marriages are under attack, the reason why they're under attack is because the devil is trying to pervert the relationship between husband and wife. And he's trying to pervert the relationship between father and child. Why would he want to pervert those? Because if he can pervert those relationships, he perverts the way that you view God the Father and Jesus the Bridegroom. I'm convinced, I'm dramatically, continually, more and more convinced of this. We don't have uh, personal issues with people. We have a knowledge of God issue. And if we will become a people who will go after the knowledge of God and find out who he is, find out what love is, find out what it means that God is kind, God is kind. When you get a revelation of the kindness of God to you, you know what it does? It enables you to be kind. I am disabled. I am fully disabled from being kind if I don't understand that God's kind. Somebody could be completely kind to me all day long, but I have got a disability. It's called sin. And unless the love of God breaks uh, in upon my life, and I understand his kindness towards me, I will never be able to manifest kindness. And all that he is, and, and my revelation of all that he is, determines what I manifest through my life. So we do not have, I don't believe, personal problems with people. We have a knowledge of God problem. We don't have husband and wife marital problems. I believe we have a knowledge of God problem. We don't have children uh, parent problems. I believe we have a knowledge of God problem. If the fathers understood who the father was to them, guess what kind of a father they would be on the earth? Off the charts. If the husbands understood the burnings of the love of the bridegroom toward them, guess what kind of a loving husband they would be in marital relationships? Off the charts. That's why Paul directs Ephesians 5 right to the the husbands and he says this, love your wife as Christ loves you. If you don't know the way that Jesus feels as a bridegroom about you, then how are you going to manifest that to your wife? Amen. Thank you. No, that's, I mean, come on. You can give me 10 steps. It doesn't matter what those 10 steps are. If I don't know love, guess what I will not give? Love. And that's why Paul, I mean, he nails it. Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what? Gave himself for her. There's your key to marriage. Go to the cross every day, husband. I guarantee you'll have a good marriage. I promise. Got the women in the Amen corner. Whoa, Amen, brother. Preach it, Billy. So I've I've been away for a while. I I just I'm just sort of spouting. But here's the deal. We and, and I, and this is specific to this generation. I believe this generation has the easiest, uh, no, 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 say it differently. An easier time embracing the bridegroom revelation of who Jesus is. Uh, they have an easier time embracing the bridegroom revelation than they do the father revelation for multiple reasons. I'll give you a couple thoughts. I think, to, I think because we paint Jesus as the Savior, 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 Savior. We do that so often, come down and just accept Jesus as your Savior, and that's how we introduce people, that people kind of have to, they have a little bit of a step to understand Jesus the bridegroom. Except for in the New Testament, the word Savior and the word bridegroom are actually used the exact same amount of times. It's like 16 times each. I know. You would think Savior is used 150 times and bridegrooms use six it's like 16 times each or something like that. Not a real number. 16, 18, 21, 14. Something like that. But it's a little bit of a step for us to get Jesus bride, the bridegroom. And, and, and not so much for ladies, a little bit for men, depending on the man. And, but, but Father, is it, it becomes very blurry. And here's why. If you go to um, two, two things, two things. A, if you go to personal experience. Everybody has a shared personal experience of understanding romance. Whether it's media, uh, whether it's television, movies, uh, uh, love story, novels, you know, Popeye and olive oil. Whatever your grid is. Everybody has a shared understanding of what romance and romantic love may look like. And the, and the guy that's sticking up for the girl that's under attack. We all get that picture. Whether you're a macho man in here or whether you know, you're the most romantic, you know, flower-smelling little lady. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are. We have a grid of what romantic, the guy fighting for the, uh, you know, the honor of the, of the woman. We get that picture. And it's hammered into us uh, through much of our media, you know, and, 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 a, and even a little bit of a wrong way, because we all, uh, especially young people, I'll just say it this way, young people generally have a fantasy island, I mean, just a fantasy land understanding of what romance is about. They just think it's, you know, that guy comes in, he knows exactly what to say, he's smooth. And he just, you know, he's got the right gift, the right line. He really does care and he really does listen. And he really never does burp or do anything else unseemly. And he just looks at you, and he just says what you wanted to hear. And he really does, you know, understand every movement of your heart. And you guys just end up, you know, going on cruises and end up on the beach at the sunset every single time. And the wind is blowing just right, and the flowers smell just good, and it's just romance. And I know what that is. That's what it's like when I'm going to get married. (laughs) Maybe maybe not. But we get so many images that that's what it's about. But when did you ever, media or otherwise, when did you ever watch the story about the good father who took care of his kids? Like, like what's, I mean, the, the dad who was totally faithful to his wife who, who spent time, you know, daily hanging out and listening to his children, who didn't ever, you know, didn't ever, like, haul off and smack them, but listened and cared, who disciplined them well for their own good, but was always there to love and catch them, even when they made wrong mistakes. The tender-hearted father... Where did you ever see the movie about that guy that he was always there, no matter how dirty and messed up the kid got, he was there just opening, him, opening his arms back up and saying, come on back. I love you, I care about you. Where is that story? <laughs> you know, I mean, we have almost no examples of that. We have, z- I mean, z- z- basically zero stories. And I think that's a reason why that when people say father or father heart uh, for instance in this room when I say father if we took a little test and I said what does that mean to you write it down on a page in 50 words or less as many people as there are in this room I would get a different definition from each some might even be bright enough to actually say something that looks like a biblical definition of father Yet, how many actually have the living actuality of experience of Father, the way that God meant it in order for it to declare the glory of who he was? How many actually have the living actuality of experience of Father, the way that God destined it to be, to declare the glory of the Lord? so few therein comes our challenge therein comes our hurdle and so because we have to work through this we're in a uh, generation and when I'm saying generation I mean anybody that's between one minute and 100 you know and if you're over 100 God bless you you count too but I'm talking about you know anybody that's alive on the planet breathing air we're living in a, in a time in, in the earth where there, there are so few examples of what Father really means. And so I would be remiss if I got up here and started, you know, spouting scriptures about God as Father without identifying that feature to us first. Because then it makes this, it enables us to do this. It enables us to check ourselves and then go, okay, so what is my perception of Father? What is the lens that I'm applying to verses regarding Father? And is Father something that's some ethereal concept out there? Is it something that I understand by my personal experience and actuality? Or do I have a real twist on what Father means? And I think when we, and I'll speak for myself, I think when I come down to it and look at what Father means... That you, know, I can look at my personal experiences with my natural family and my uh, you know, father figures in life and go, you know, I know that I have uh, great lengths to go in understanding the knowledge of God as Father. And I think if we're honest, I think many of us would say the same thing. So because of that, many are estranged from the Father. They, they might even brace, and I'm finding this more and more in the young generation. They will embrace Jesus. They love Jesus. He's the guy that died for us. Man, he shed his blood. He loves us. Jesus. Oh, I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. I love it. I love Jesus. What about the Father? he's that mean guy in the Old Testament that killed everybody. And we'll stay estranged from the Father because we don't comprehend who he is. And the challenge challenge is you can't separate the Father and the Son. You don't sort of get the Jesus package and sort of not include the Father, and you're good to go. I promise you, if you've done that, and and many of us have done it without knowledge of it, but if and when we do that, we are living um, with a false understanding of even who Jesus is. Jesus came to reveal the Father. Turn over to John chapter 6. He came to show us the Father. Interesting thing to me is that God the Father is the one who has set it all up that people would meet His Son. All the... the, Wonder and experience you've had with Jesus is something that was authored by the Father. It was authored by the Father, like what Jesus said in John six, down here in verse forty-four. It says no one, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I will raise him up at the last day. And look at verse 45. He's giving us a little hint into the millennium. And they shall all be taught by God as it is written in the prophets. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. See, no one has ever Submitted to Jesus as Lord and Savior without the operation of the Father moving them that direction. He goes, anyone who's ever come to me has learned to do that because the Father told them to. See, the idea that we would go, good Jesus, bad Father, it's, it's really mixed up. Because the one that took your hand and led you and put your hand in the hand of that good Jesus was the good father he was the one that introduced you to his son and I'm, I'm particularly dealing with this issue and some people don't even realize they're estranged from the father they just, they just don't pray to the father they don't think of the father they, they never consider the father but I just would, I'm just i just trying to tweak people a little bit and just say, do you realize that the father's the one that authored the bliss of your salvation and your relationship with Jesus? The good father had this good idea and Matthew 22 two tells us about it. This, the whole kingdom that we're in is about this father who set up a marriage for his son. That's what the whole thing's about. This father was looking around and considering creation, and he was saying, My son must have a bride. And he's considering creation, and he begins to release his influence upon a people, and you said yes. Guess whose idea the whole wedding banquet was? That good father. He's the one that prepared the wedding banquet. In fact, it's the workings of the father that's preparing you even right now for the son. The good father is the one who's orchestrating the events of your salvation. We cannot live estranged from him. We've gotten to comprehend who he is in truth. And I, and I wanna be honest with you, listen. Somebody might be in here you might be 50 years old and you might be going, I'm, you know, I'm 50, I don't have any father issues. Look, your age has zero to do with it. Zero. You could be 75 and go, you know what? In in honesty, if if you're 75, you could look into your life and ask yourself, have I ever had a right lens on the Father? And God can bring healing even now to you. For real. This is not an age-specific revelation. We'll we'll try to tie that revelation to, well, that's the young ones, they need healing. No, beloved, we need healing. We need healing. We need to know the way the Father feels. He's a good Father. He's so good. I'll just divert for a minute. I have three boys, of course, and uh, they're, uh, one's about to be eight, and I have a six, and I have one that's three, and he thinks he's about to be 30. He's about to be four in a minute. And every time, and I didn't, I, I never thought this would happen to me. I never Figured I never planned to do this. But every time, I, I had the good fortune of being with my wife all the way through her labor and, and right there in the living room when each of them were born. And, and each time, when, when each of them were born instantaneously, without thinking, planning, trying, instantaneously, I was, I mean, I was immersed in affection for each of those little guys when they came out. To this, I was weeping in love. I mean, I fell in love. I mean, I loved them when they were in the belly. Too, you know, you talk to them, you sing to them, hey, it's dad out here, hey. You know, you do all that. But when, when they come out, and they break the womb, and they come out and you see them for the first time. And I mean, they're just, you know, they're just a second old. Like, I'm getting a witness over here, see? Hey, Amen. They're a second old. I mean, they're just, they can't do anything. They can't serve. They can't, they don't know my name. They don't even recognize me. Each time I blow up crying, overwhelmed in love, before they could even lift a finger, before they even knew my name. They didn't recognize my voice. And I fell in love with them. deep, throw-yourself-in-front-of-a-car kind of love. I mean, the real stuff. And I realize if that's the way that I broken down me with issues and stuff, feel about my boys before they ever knew my name. How does the eternal Father, who's perfect in love, feel about you and I hello, without regard to our performance. Because I fell in love before they could even lift a finger. They were basically little jello molds with skin wrapped around it. I mean, just, just. Can't do anything. Eat, sleep, number one, number two, that's it. If I feel, if I, I mean, I feel it now. If I feel whelmed with love that way for little bitty guys that can't do a thing, couldn't do a thing, couldn't earn a thing from me, how's the eternal Father feel about us? He's the one that drew you to Jesus. No one has, he said, no one has come to hear from me who hasn't learned it from the Father. I tell you, that's how the Father feels about you. I don't care what your earthly experiences have been. I don't care what the models are in society today. I don't care what they cram down our throats because most of the explanations of who Father is in the media, in the movies, are some doofus or some angry guy. You do not have the example of the one who's tender in love and care and listens and is attentive and looks in your eye and knows the movements of your heart and understands when you say the wrong thing, but you meant something else. He already knows your words before you say them. Where do we have an an example of that? That's who he is. And he's moving in love right now. His heart is moving in love for people, for you, personally you. And he's the one that drew you to Jesus. We have got to get to the place where we say, I embrace the Father just as much as I embrace the Son. Not in regard to whether or not you're saved. You've got to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. As you know, the one who paid for your sin and the sacrifice that he made on the cross. The blood of the atonement. Yes, you must accept that in order to be saved. But I believe for us to come into a right knowledge of who God is, we must embrace who the Father is as much as we embrace who the Son is. For God, the Father, so loved you that he sent Jesus. He gave Jesus for you. He traded Jesus. He traded Jesus for you. We just don't know the Father very well. How can you lose with a dad like that? How do you lose in life with a dad like that? You know what I'm saying? Like, if he likes you like that before you breathe, think, he trades his own son for you, how can you ever lose? You already won. Because the way he feels about you, you win. Turn over to John 14. All that Jesus is as the loving bridegroom, all that Jesus is as the the Savior who loves you, all that Jesus is in his natural, human, experiential, uh, lavish giving of love and sacrifice, all that Jesus is, the Father is. All that Jesus is as a lover the Father is as a lover. He explains it to us. Jesus explains it to us. He didn't come on his own. John 14, verse 7. He's trying to explain to the disciples what's going on. He's, he's, he's trying to say, "In my Father's house, I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you and, and I'm going to come and receive you back to me. And he's, he says, I am the way. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. This is the way, it's me. He goes, no one is coming to the Father except through me. Isn't that amazing? Nobody comes to the Son except by the Father and no one goes to the Father except through the Son. Perfection of the Trinity. I mean, how does that work? The Father goes, hey, 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 psst. hey buddy, psst. hey, little girl, psst. I want you to meet my son. The son goes, hey, I'm so glad to meet you. I want to introduce you to somebody. That's my dad. I mean, the perfection in the Trinity. They're not like jockeying for a position. But look at what Jesus says. He goes, no one comes except through me. Verse seven, he goes, if you knew me, if you had known me, you would have known my father. Father. From now on, you know him, and you have seen him. Philip says, Lord, that's so good, Lord. I mean, you can almost just get Philip goes, oh, it's so good, Lord. We, yeah, yeah, we know you, we, go, we know the Father, we see, good. Can you just show us the Father? Like, can you just like do that? It's enough if you'll do that. We will, we'll get it then. Like, what exactly was Philip, I mean, was he thinking, you know, Jesus would just sort of stick his hand in the air and pull back like an, a curtain in, into, the, into the eternal and unveil the Father right before them? I mean, how was that going to go? Philip. I'm going to high-five Philip. I would have said the same thing. I'm going to go, there you go, Philip. That was a cool question, man. Good request. If you, you know, I like it. If you just show us the Father, it's enough, you know. Just manifest the eternal one. It's, it'd be good. Well, we can hang with that. Jesus, he's not scolding him. He answers, Philip, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me? Come on, Phil. You can almost feel Jesus. Come on, Phil. He was has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen him. Look at 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me, Phil? The words that I speak to you, he goes, I don't speak on my own. But the Father who dwells in me, he does the works. The idea is he he gives me the words and he manifests the power. I love the way Jesus is wrapping it together for Philip because, you know, you can clearly see the veil is still over the eyes of the disciples. You know, Pete and his whole thing, and know, Phil. And, but, but Jesus, he just breaks it down real simply. He goes, when you met me, you met the Father. When you heard me, you heard the Father. And when you watched me, you watched the Father. Everything I've ever said. I said it because he told me to say it. Everything I ever did, he goes, I did it because he told me to do it. He is giving Paul the groundwork for Paul to be able to say that all the fullness of the deity dwells in Christ. All the fullness of the deity dwells in Jesus. Think about that for a second. God picks a man And he is God. And not just, you know, one of three, but God goes and puts all three in the one. All the fullness of the deity dwells in Christ. Spirit without measure, Father in the Son, Son on the planet. All the fullness dwelt in Jesus. So my point would be to you is that you can't separate the son from the father. You can't have the son and think you can just have the good guy and the father's this mean guy. No, all that the son is, the father is. All that the way the son loves you is the way the father loves you. All that the way the son speaks tenderly is the way that the father speaks tenderly. Jesus came to show us the father. The the living manifestation of God on the earth. Jesus the son. The one. (laughs) Jesus had the audacity to say. uh, He's the one who said I am. Remember when they questioned him? They said how can you say. You know the, the chronology doesn't work with you and Abraham. That you said you saw Abraham. You're not even 50 years old. How can you say that you saw Abraham. And Jesus God in the flesh, in whom all the deity dwells, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Ah. oh, oh, oh. <laughs> that's unreal. He's quoting Exodus 3. Let's go over there. Exodus 3. I promise you, you're gonna like the Father after we're through this. You're gonna like him a whole lot. Genesis, Exodus. Probably no other, uh, uh, let me say it differently. Moses ends up getting, I think, the greatest um, explanation, he's the first guy that gets the great explanation of the nature of God. He gets multiple declarations of the name of God. Moses does. And I mean, that's just an absolutely powerful reality because here's why. When God speaks his name, he is declaring his nature. And Moses gets three specific Detailed explanations of the name of God and I believe it absolutely rocks Moses paradigm because Moses comes out of the land of slavery and God when he breaks in with Moses God begins to declare his name to Moses and in the declaration of his name the nature of God is being comprehended by Moses He's understanding him differently. And whereas he might have had a uh, real slave mentality as he viewed God, instead God at the very onset goes, I'll declare to you my name, my nature. And he begins to thunder into Moses what the name of God is. And then he goes later, and Moses goes, Now, the only thing you told me about yourself was a couple phrases. He goes, I need to know all of it. And at the 34, in Exodus 34, he goes back and he goes, Here's who I am. And he gives him details. But right there in the onset, when God calls Moses, he gives him his name. And I love the way the Lord does it. Look at Exodus 3: Sets the bush on fire, it doesn't burn. He sets the bush on fire. The bush doesn't burn. You know the story. Verse six. He goes, uh, verse five. He goes, don't draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. It's the first time that God declares himself as the God of three generations of fathers. God had used the God of Abraham a couple times, but the first time you hear God say to Moses the declaration of who he is, he goes, I am the God of three generations of patriarchs. What is the eternal father trying to say about himself when he identifies himself with a lineage of three fathers? He's trying to give it to Moses right there on the front end. I'm not a slave driver. I'm not a taskmaster. I'm not like the Pharaoh that you served in Egypt. I am the God of the fathers. He's trying to get across to Moses the comprehension that he's a father. If he identifies himself with three generations of fathers, it's because he's trying to give us insight into his nature. So then he goes on, and Moses goes, he goes, how am I going to go? I mean, who am I, who can I even say that you are? Who will I say sent me? And he says this amazing thing. He goes, tell them the I am. Look at verse 13. Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? Imagine that. Several hundred years, they've been following the God of their fathers. They don't know his name yet. And they ask me, they go, so, Moses goes, so what do I go? What am I going to say when they ask me what your name is? How do I do this? I don't even know how to do this. He goes, good, yeah. Yeah. You need to know that good question. It's like the Lord's going, good question, Moses. They've got to know my nature. They've got to know what I'm like. He goes, tell them. God says to Moses, tell them, I am who I am. (laughs) And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Think about that for a minute. I am I, man that made me stumble for the longest time when I first got saved I said God's name is I am that doesn't make any sense I looked up the word who I am who I am it can be I am which I am I am what I am I am because I am he goes tell them I am I, 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 that just always boggled me I go I am that makes no sense You know what he was saying? He goes, tell them the one who's been for always. He goes, my name, I'm the always. I'm the forever. I'm the eternal. The one whose name is I am, his name is always. I just, I just love that. Here's why. Because every attribute of God that you see in scripture, you can throw always in front of it. Always merciful. Always gracious. Always kind. Always love. Always good. Always true. The always sent me to you, nation of Israel. Oh. The always. You know who your father is? The always. The I am is your father. The always is your provider. The always is your righteousness. The always. I love that. I love that. I think you're so cool, God. Thanks for naming yourself always. I think that is so awesome. He's always been here, and He always will. You know what I think he was speaking to right there in the middle of that when he said, he he describes himself as the I am. You know what I think he was speaking to? He was speaking right into a generation of slaves, right into a generation that understood abuse and abandonment. And he was speaking right into this. Always, I'll be here for you. Always. First explanation of his name, I'm always here. I'm always here. I love it. Never leave you, nor forsake you. Why? Because he's the always. That's who your father is. The always. And then he goes down. In Exodus 34, last scripture, let's just flip over there. father you're making me love your son son you're making me love your father this works for me I like how this goes Exodus 34 you love Moses tenacious attitude his tenacity his desire his longing for God he's got to have more he goes I can't Keep going if I don't see you. Because Moses, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna die, Moses, if you see me. You're gonna, you're gonna get neutralized. You're gonna get disintegrated in your quest for God. Who can I mean, come on, that's hunger in the heart of a man. Moses goes, I wanna, I want the whole thing, even till if it kills me, I'll take it. God goes, Moses, that's That's awesome because only God can author that in the heart of a man. That which would hurl him into death. It just begs the question, who would embrace death now to know him? Paul, I count all things as rubbish, surpassing greatness of the knowledge of God. For I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I, Christ who lives in me. See, God authors hunger that will take you into death. You know, spiritual mourning is painful, but spiritual hunger will kill you. And only Moses. I mean, oh, I like Moses. Because I want it all, God. I want to see your face. I can't live this way any longer. I have got to see you because I can't keep leading the way you want me to unless I have an encounter. So he goes, man, do you think it's biblical to pray to go up through that Revelation 4 door? Well, Moses did before there was a Revelation 4 door. He goes, I'm not going anywhere unless you come and you let me see you. Show me your face. He goes, Moses, I can't show you my glory. Let the student figure that one out. My face, my glory. He goes, I can't show you my glory. No man can see my glory and live. You can't see my face and live, Moses. But when I pass before you, you can see my backside, and I will declare the name of the Lord before you. And he goes, puts Moses in a little cleft of the rock, he hides him in there, and he declares the name, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sins, by no means clearing the guilty. He declares, he thunders the nature of God into Moses' very being. The always merciful. The always gracious. The always long-suffering. The always abounding in goodness. See, I don't know what your lens is of who God the Father is, but he's never, listen, he's never been anything to you but merciful. He's never been anything to you but gracious. He's never been anything to you but patient. Long-suffering. He's never been anything but abounding in goodness. He's never been anything but true. That's who He is. His nature and His name are inseparable. When He declares to us His name, He declares to us His glory. Remember our discussion at the front end that when God declares and shows and manifests His glory, He manifests His emotions and His feelings. When God looks at you, It's in mercy. When the Father looks at you, it's in goodness. It's in kindness. It's in patience. In patience. Many of us have had fathers and father figures who are impatient. But he's always been patient. Many of us have had experiences where we've been under the, the sting of what is merciless, but he's always been merciful. We've got to step up and look at this thing in the mirror. We've got to look at this thing close and go, You've always been merciful. You've always been patient with me. You've always been gracious. Gracious. I mean, When I have been improper, you have been gracious. You know what you and I are? You and I are the little scavenger bum clothed in rags smelling like filth. And we stumble through the door into the palace of the king. Arrayed in glory and majesty and wealth and beauty and riches and strength and power. And we stumble in there and bumble under our face. Leaving a dirty mark on the floor. We look up in shock, and he goes, It's you. I've been waiting for you. Come here, come close. I want to embrace you. He's always been gracious. Do we have any concept of who the Father is? Oh, He's good. He's really good. I just feel like over the next several weeks as we continue to go after this, our hearts are going to get unlocked. We're going to sense liberty. We're going to come out of orphan mentalities. God's going to do a whole thing in us in, in this issue of acceptance, being accepted in the beloved, sonship and inheritance. Let me ask you something. If you understand that Jesus is all that the Father is, and you believe, or you're supposed to believe, that He loves you, how can you believe that if you don't understand the love of the Father, whom Jesus is the representation of? How can you believe the love of the Son if He's the representation of the Father if you have no concept of the love of the Father? See how it falls apart for us? We've got to know the Father's love if we're going to understand the. The Son's love. Good, let's just stand. Lord, we need to know love. Oh, you are good. You are good, Father. No wonder at the end of the age he's going to send the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers. Why? So he can have a right witness and proclamation of his nature in the earth in the day in which he sends his son. Fathers with turned hearts in the last generation to declare the heart of the eternal father to an entire generation of orphans. It's good. Lord, we love you. Come, come, Holy Spirit, come. Release revelation even now. Release revelation of the heart of the Father to us. God, I pray that you would begin to break down ideas, false images, things that have erected themselves in our minds, wrong perceptions, wrong understandings of the good Father, Lord, I'm asking that you would begin to break through upon us with revelation and light. That we would comprehend the way the Father feels. We would know the way the Father thinks. We would understand the one who is merciful. The one who is gracious. The one who is patient. The one who is kind. He's long suffering with you. He's long suffering with you. I tell you, some of you have all you've known is impatience. You believe God is standing there with a stick in his hand, tapping his foot, demanding you to quickly make a decision. I tell you, he is long suffering. The Father is long suffering to you. He is patient. He understands you are but dust. He is patient. With your weakness. He is good. You are good. He is good. Your love endures forever, Lord. He is good.